Hello and welcome to this celebration of movie excellence in 2024. I'm Alex Zane and this is Countdown to the BAFTAs, where in this series we look back at five movies that were long-listed, along with the nominees, for that most coveted award, Best Film at the EE BAFTA Film Awards 2024. This time, it's Barbie. You have to never get old. Never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard, it's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. In this wide-ranging interview, we discuss how they got from the creative spark that started it all to the challenges faced in bringing it to the screen. And a quick warning, we will be talking about the story, so if you haven't yet, go see the movie, come back and get listening. This is Countdown to the BAFTAs. You're so pretty. I'm not stereotypical Barbie Note to the filmmakers, Margot Robbie is the wrong person to cast if you want to make this point. In this much-talked-about film, Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, is having the time of her life in the colourful and seemingly perfect world of Barbieland. However, after venturing into the real world with Ken, Ryan Gosling, their ideals begin to unravel as they discover the joys and perils of living among imperfect humans. Hi, I'm Margot Robbie. I'm the producer on Barbie. Margot Robbie, lovely to be able to talk about Barbie with you. First of all, let me say uh, congratulations. How does it feel to have your film recognised by the BAFTA members? It's It's been quite extraordinary, actually, because the Barbie journey started so long ago. And after the summer, I thought I was just going to hang up all the pink and clear out my wardrobe and never see that colour again. And <laughs> here we are. We're still... We're still celebrating the movie, which just feels like an extraordinary gift. Well, let me take you back to the start of this very long journey with Barbie. And and the first time you actually heard the word Barbie in relation to the possibility of making a film, what what was that situation? Was it a conversation, a meeting? And, and what was your reaction? The first time I heard the word Barbie in relation to a film was hearing about it set up at another studio and hearing that there was a script, but maybe it wasn't going to go. And then I heard that that script didn't, you know, it kind of fell apart. And then there was another iteration bubbling. And this is many, many, many years ago. And so I kind of, when I heard it fall apart, sort of for the second time, I thought, you know, if this doesn't get up, or when it was getting up and running a second time, I thought if this doesn't go this time, uh, we really should make a move for it. And so we just waited to see if that iteration of the movie would get going in it. And it didn't, which, by the way, is completely normal um, in the development process for any film. You, you Films are almost a thing and then they're not. It actually feels like a miracle when any movie gets made because more often than not, it doesn't. Um, so it's definitely not a bad thing. It's just how the, you know, how the game goes. But we were clocking it by that point. We were kind of keeping tabs on it at that point and uh, waiting for the opportune moment to jump in and throw our hat in the ring and say, can we can we have a go at making a Barbie movie? And so by 2018, that moment arose and we sat with uh, Enon, who was the new CEO, real life CEO at Mattel, even though Will Ferrell depicts the CEO of Mattel in our film, <laughs> uh, 
is actually nothing like Enon. <laughs> Enon's actually a lot more like the Terminator. Greta and I used to call him uh, before we knew him well enough to tell him that we thought he looks like the Terminator. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was that. That was five and a half years ago that we had that meeting. So in this process of, of monitoring the, the status of Barbie and being ready to, for want of a better expression, ready to pounce on that property, um, what was the thinking that was going through your head? Because you clearly knew at that stage there was something about this property that was going to be a success, I imagine, that was going to connect with audiences to want to make it. It was just a, clearly a huge opportunity. The word itself is iconography. The word itself is globally recognised and is well-known you know, across the world is something like Coca-Cola. It's It doesn't even really compare to another, you know, character IP that exists. It's it's even bigger than that. So the opportunity for the outreach it could have was completely evident to us from the beginning, but more so on a creative level, the opportunity to take a thing that people already had so many feelings about, but it doesn't have a narrative story yet. There is no... If it's a comic book character or a Disney character, you kind of know the things that need to happen, the folklore that needs to occur in order for that character to become the character that everyone knows. But with Barbie, there was nothing. Mm. And that felt like a big opportunity for a writer and a director to take that lane and, and drive down it. But also it just had so much baggage, which felt very scary and very exciting. I was extremely aware of how much bad press Barbie's gotten over the years and and yet she's still so adored and celebrated by some people and other people, mums in particular, feel extremely conflicted about Barbie. Feminists feel mm. conflicted about Barbie. Um, it just felt like a really exciting opportunity to say something and do something that could reach so many people and the person you you felt uh is best placed to uh to tackle this project initially as as writer before she became director was was greta gerwig and um, obviously as well as being a talented writer and director as the producer of bobby are you also thinking about the fact that the idea of uh, an indie filmmaker like Greta Gerwig tackling a property like bobby already generates a certain amount of excitement and intrigue Totally, totally. And I, I, by the way, always saw her as directing this. Um, she herself wanted to take it one step at a time, write it first, then decide if it was directed. I always wanted her to direct this. I didn't even bank on the fact that she'd drag nowhere into writing this. That was, um, you know, just lucky for us that she said, this is what I want to do. This. No, but um, why Greta? I think I could identify in her very first film, Lady Bird, because actually when I started speaking to her, Little Women hadn't come out yet, but... It was so clear in that film that here is a filmmaker who has a point of view on the world and who pours a lot of herself and her own experiences into her films and it feels so personal. That movie feels so personal to me and yet it also kind of fits into that, you know, I don't want to say conventional because that movie is really not conventional, but there's like a, a movie structure and there's movie notes that you hit that are the, that thing that we all love about movies. And I could see her hitting all those things um, in that film, but it was still this exceptionally personal, you know, indie film. And and I loved that. I loved how much heart was in that film. I loved how smart it was. I loved how relevant it felt. Like it just felt like it was made by a young person, to be honest. And then in speaking to her, which I had been doing for a number of years because I wanted to work with her for a while, it was so clear that she had the the ambition 
and the knowledge to execute on a much larger scale. And this obviously was going to be a large scale movie. And I think you kind of have to clock a filmmaker's ambition for scale when having those kind of conversations, because not everyone does kind of have the skill set to to work at that kind of scale. But it is a totally different mm-hmm. skill set to make a, a big, big blockbuster movie. Um, and and she clearly, it was so clear. She, she, I mean, she could do anything. She just gives you that impression when you talk to her. She's so smart and so brilliant. The knowledge of film is 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 insane, um, and filmmaking techniques, and yet everything feels everything feels funny and sharp and inclusive and smart and relevant. Just all those things that I knew we needed a Barbie movie to be, she has in space. And I know you were in regular contact with Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach during the writing process, but when you sat down to read that finished script, there was still a certain amount of trepidation. Talk me through the exact moment and where you were when you first read that script and what your reaction was. I was sitting on my couch in my flat in London when I first read it. Tom and I sat down together. Tom is my husband, but also my producing partner and producer on this film. We sat down at the the same time. I think we made ourselves a drink. It had been a long-awaited moment to read this script because their process is to go off and write the whole thing and then show it to you. So we didn't really know what was coming. We knew a little bit throughout COVID they'd been writing the script and we would have a lot of Zoom sessions and they would kind of test material on us the way a stand-up comedian, if you've ever spoken to a stand-up comedian, you kind of feel like they're testing material. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That thing where they'd be like, we're thinking this. And then, you know, and Noel would be like, yeah, it's kind of like, and then he'd do a bit and then Greta would be like, yeah, and it's like that. And they'd kind of one-up each other with the humor and you could see them finding a scene and then you could see one of them start writing it down. And then eventually, of course, we'd see the beach joke in in the script or, you know, one of the first, she's like something to do with a Birkenstock. And I feel like it's a Birkenstock or a high heel. So there's things like that, that she had, they had both kind of tested on us and spoke about in front of us and, and noodled on, but we didn't really know what it was going to be. It wasn't the, you know, that process it is like it is with so many other writers where you get a treatment and then you get, a, you know, a more, a more extended 30 page treatment. And then you get it, you know, that is, so you know, what's coming usually, but we really didn't know what was coming. And, uh, we sat there and we laughed and we cried and we gasped. Mainly we were just like, had our head in our hands, like, Oh my God, how are we going to make this? How are we going to convince them to make it? By the end of it, honestly, we both looked at each other and said, they're never going to let us make it. <sighs> and those mini fridges are so small. Mm-hmm. You can only fit a six pack in them, and the freezers are basically useless. <laughs> like it's been years of this journey already, and um, it's, it's a brilliant script. This script is a masterpiece, and it's such a shame that it will never see the light of day because there is no way we can convince Warner Brothers and Mattel to let us make this movie. It was too crazy. It was it was bonkers. It was chock a block full of ideas and different brands of humor and comedy and. I mean, the scale isn't what necessarily scared us, though that was also, you know, your your producer brain is kind of tallying up the costs as you read something and you're going, oh my God, we're going to, everything's bespoken, everything's going to have to be handmade. We're going to have to build an entire universe by hand at that. That's expensive, but it wasn't the expense that scared us. It was just this anarchic feeling of we're going to say it all, we're going to do it all, we're really going to go there, we're going to make jokes about Mattel and we have to get Mattel to be okay with that. Uh, There were so many reasons. 
Um, and it also just, yeah, it had gender politics. It had all the things that people in studios and everyone normally goes like, Eek, can you yeah. just not talk about that? Can you just kind of shave off those things so that we can sell this everywhere? And, and this movie didn't need to be sell, sold everywhere. So we were going to understand that, that, um, that argument from the get-go anyway. So that's where I was. That's how I felt reading it. But it was undeniably brilliant. And Mattel, obviously, this 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 is a company that has never made a movie before. This is their first movie. I mean, obviously, you did convince them. Um, tell me how difficult that was. Was was there something in this movie that we've all watched that was particularly difficult to get over the line with Mattel, or was there even something perhaps that they they wouldn't budge on? Is there something that we have have never seen in Barbie because they went, look, we do have to draw a line in the sand. There is nothing that they wouldn't budge on. And I mean, all the credit to them. They're, everything was a conversation. And I have to say, the fact that they'd never made a movie before worked in our favor in so many ways. But there was definitely a, a process of understanding that needed to occur, uh, even just explaining subtext. You know, even they would say, here, Barbie's saying this on screen. but that, And, and I'd be like, yeah, but this is how I'm going to play it. And then I'd do it. And then I'd be like, you see how... Though the words that are coming my ma- out of my mouth are this, my face is telling you that I don't think that. You're like, oh, okay. So there'd be conversations like that where you just don't have those conversation- conversations normally, you know, with people who've made movies before. But that was kind of like a really fun, beautiful uh, bonding experience. And then everything else was, was, was a conversation. We were just really open and honest with each other. Like, what scares you? And, of course, the list was long. And they've worked so hard over the years to rebrand the Barbie universe. And they've done an, like, an amazing job of that. In 2016, they it really changed the game by naming every Barbie Barbie and every Ken Ken mm-hmm. and made the world so diverse and inclusive in that way. And they worked really hard with that rebrand. And you can watch an amazing documentary about that called Tiny Shoulders. But here we were hearkening back to, you know, the more derivative things that people found problematic from decades past. And they were like, well, we don't want to talk about that <laughs> stuff. We worked so hard to to fix that. And we're like, I know, but we have to include all of this. We have to look at all of it. And most of all, we have to be able to poke fun at ourselves. And they were just so brilliant about trusting us and and voicing their concerns, but always listening to the creative, you know, reason behind a joke or a feeling or even a name. Like I remember just, you know, an easy one to to talk about is the fact that in the script she's called Stereotypical Barbie. And when someone says, are you Stereotypical Barbie? My Barbie says, yep, that's me. I'm Stereotypical Barbie. Like, why does that have to be the word Stereotypical? And I'm like, yes, there's negative baggage attached to the word Stereotypical. I I see that. They're like, right, why can't we call her something else? I'm like, sure, we could call her Original Barbie. Um, But the fact that it, that she is putting herself in a box and giving herself a derivative name like stereotypical Barbie is a part of her journey. It's important that she starts there so that she can end up somewhere else. And they would say, okay, yes, I understand that. And I understand the creative impulse behind that. So we're going to let that one go as well. You know, they were really, really, I mean, I can't credit them enough. They were really amazing about that. Obviously, and they loved it because we are now able to sit and watch Barbie, the, the movie. Let me take you back to the, the moment you walked onto the set of, of this film for the first time. Obviously, a lot of our listeners may never have been on a movie set. Can you talk about what the atmosphere was like on the set of Barbie and whether that was particularly unique to this production compared to other films that you've worked on? It was unique. It was 
whatever you feel watching the movie when you see Barbie Land and you're at that dance party, time that by a hundred because that's what the set felt like. It was bursting with joy. It was an instant dopamine hit. You'd walk in and of course we're shooting it in London and as all the Londoners know, it's often quite rainy and grey and cold and it was and then you'd step onto set and it was just, it was Barbie land. It was this fantastical, warm, you know, pink fever dream. It was just amazing and you couldn't not be happy in Barbie land. And people would come to our set from other sets. They were shooting like The Fast 10 and all sorts of other movies. People would wander over and poke their head and be like, what are you guys doing over here? You couldn't help but be drawn to it. It was just so beautiful and it was so fun. And we'd play, you know, Greta would play music. We'd all dance to like get warmed up in the morning. Crew, everyone like be dancing. And it was full of laughter. It all trickles down from the top. The fact that Greta would laugh so much meant that everyone else would laugh so much and you know, Greta would dance, so everyone would dance. And it was just the most amazing thing. People would come to set on days they weren't even shooting. Mm. This set was just warm and lovely. And we had such a huge ensemble in front of the camera every day, which is also pretty rare. So it's a lot for everyone to coordinate, but it was this beautiful chaos and everyone was just having a ball. When it comes to uh, releasing Barbie, now, obviously you've got your, you've got your final cut of the film, we hear a lot about um, the idea of test screenings and, and test audiences, which are used often to to feedback on a film with scores and comments, and sometimes the film is adapted accordingly or sometimes not. Was that a process you went through with Barbie? Yeah, definitely. We tested quite a lot, actually. And it was an amazing, like, amazingly fascinating experience. And we test in different parts of the country. We did friends and family. We do recruited screenings. We did recruited screenings where people didn't know they were seeing the Barbie movie. We did recruited screenings where people did know they were seeing the Barbie movie. And so we really got the whole breadth of, the, of reactions. And, of course, you get people to fill out answers afterwards. Why didn't you like that? What did you think of that? What did you respond to? What are your feelings in general? Um, you know, it gets really detailed. And you also film your audience. And so you can watch your audience react or not react. You can watch when they get restless. You can watch when people start eating their popcorn more or getting up to go to the bathroom. That's all really important information. So it does help shape the process to an extent. You also have to be quite careful with that. You have to also know when to kind of stick to your guns. Mm. There's also a lot of moments in this movie that are just pleasurable even if they don't elicit a big reaction so even though someone might not be writing my favorite part was this or even though the audience isn't you know clapping or laughing out loud we'd always watch for when they would just still and like have a half smile on their face because you didn't want to cut out those moments either that adds to the whole effect so yes we did a lot of testing it was extremely informative always fascinating on a you know sociological level just to see the different demographics how everyone reacts teenage boys i gotta say loved barbie mm -hmm. from the get-go you know a demographic that everyone assured us would not see this movie actually their responses were extremely um yeah extremely positive particularly to ruth i remember that reading that teenage boys particularly around 14 15 loved ruth i don't know if it's like a grandma connection thing that they they always put that down as their favourite seat. 
so in many ways you you were you were vindicated because I, I remember you saying that you were struggling to convince people that this would be a four quadrant movie right at the start and uh, and here we are that congratulations yeah. i guess thank you <laughs> thank you yeah that was i'd say like the biggest hurdle for sure because that dictates the budget you're going to get it dictates the number you're greenlit at and um it changes everything so to have men show up for this movie was incredibly important to its success and to take you back to the very first time you watched it with an audience who weren't involved with the film, they weren't a test audience, an audience of strangers, and you're playing your movie for the first time. Uh, talk me through where your head is at at the start of the titles coming up uh, compared to where you are at the end of that experience, the very first time. I was extremely confident that anyone watching this film was going to enjoy it. I think it's impossible not to enjoy it. I didn't know that there's certain jokes in there, there's certain moments in there, and there's certain characters that, you know, I was waiting for, okay, they go with it on this joke, then they're going to go with it on these ones. But if we lose them on that, then we're probably going to lose them on a lot of other things. So it's more about tracking the reactions throughout. I knew everyone would enjoy it. You can't not, even, even if you don't care about filmmaking techniques, you can't look at those hand-built sets and not know that someone hand-built them and not be impressed on some level. So I was very confident that it would elicit an extremely joyful reaction from anyone watching it, but I didn't know, uh, you know, what bits we would lose then. It was, it's always scary. It's always, it's always a scary thing, getting everyone's reactions for the first time, for sure. Um, obviously, Barbenheimer was a, a huge thing, a, a wonderful thing in cinema. Tell me, you picked, uh, well, I don't know whether you picked it, but the 21st of July, obviously, famously Christopher Nolan's favoured release date. So when it turns out that Barbie and Oppenheimer are opening on the same day, was there ever, before Barbenheimer became a thing, any conversations you had where it was like, could you move the date? Might you move the date? You know, these are two big movies coming out on the same day. Was that ever brought up? Yeah, look, picking a date is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. There's reasons why Nolan has his favorite date and everyone has their, you know, it's, it's a really, really big deal. And it depends on the kind of film you have. We knew this needed to be a summer release film. And that summer period is chock a block full of big films. So there is no good date. Every date is full. Every date is competing with another humongous movie that tons of people want to see. We thought it complemented Oppenheimer really nicely. Turns out the world agreed with us, but we always thought that's that's a nice movie to be in the same weekend with. They're they're very different. It doesn't feel like we're kind of standing on each other's toes. Um, and what wonderful competition to be in. Um, actually, there's even some people would think two or three weeks before that might be the best date. You've got more. It's all about the multiple. It's all about when you pick a date and people have the most opportunity to go back to the cinema. That's when you get higher box office. But uh, it depends how many holidays you've got coming up. So actually, the weekend that The Flash had a few weeks before us, we also a Warner Brothers film, uh, and Top Gun was released on that date the previous year. Mm-hmm. And that that was a very appealing date, but The Flash was there, so we couldn't do that one. And then we thought, well, this is, this is a great date. And there's a lot of signs, a lot of very clever people from marketing, distribution, go in, you know, talk at great length about what date to pick. And that is the date that they thought would be best for Barbie. And we absolutely agreed. And funnily enough, it was exactly to the day a year after we wrapped. We had our wrap party on July 21st and we released the movie on July 21st. It was ordained. So, you were never, never going to move it there. No, like, no, no one could move no, that. 
no, 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 we were never going to move it. No, no way. And I'm, I'm, I'm friends with Chuck Rogan, who's a producer on Oppenheimer. We talked about this and I was like, we're not moving. We're not moving. <laughs> oh, really? He was like, do you want to move? No. <laughs> yeah, he's, no, he's like, you should move. You should move. And I was like, I'm not moving. <laughs> Brilliant. Move. You move, Chuck. And he was like, no, we're not moving. We like our day. And I was like, let's get together. It'll be great. It's a perfect double bill. What does the success of Barbie tell you uh, about the appetite of movie audiences um, from the last year and, and moving forward? Does it tell you anything? Can you see a, a sea change in perhaps what people are wanting to see at the cinema? Yes, original content. I mean, it's it's so evident that the biggest successes we've had at, at Lucky Chap have been big, bold, original ideas. I, Tonya, obviously a smaller scale film, is a bold tone and that is in a very original film you know promising young woman again completely original saltburn original barbie original oppenheimer you know like it's it's big bold cinematic filmmaking that's original that's someone doing something different and people really respond to that and people people showing up at the cinema i can't tell you how important that is for our industry like it's it makes the world of difference that people can point at Barbie and say, look what it made. Look how many people showed up on the same weekend that they also showed up for another big movie. You know, it's it's huge. It's huge. It literally changes the framework of the game that we're all playing in. We are almost out of time, unfortunately, Margot. Uh, but before, oh, I went so fast. <laughs> before you go, I do have three very quick fire questions just to wrap up our interview. Uh, so yeah. the first quick fire question is, uh, can you remember what was your favourite day, either on the set or during the edit of Barbie? Oh, my gosh. There were so many. Probably when Ryan Gosling played the guitar at me, that was really exciting for me. That was, And then all the Kens are playing the guitar. That was maybe one of my favorites. And during the edit, I think it's the first time you feel the movie really click into place because there's always a scary period where you're still trying to find it. <laughs> you start thinking, oh my gosh, what if we don't find it? And then one day you watch the cut and you're like, there it is. I can see it. Now we've got to you know, fine tune and keep sculpting it, but it's there. We've got the movie now. Okay, conversely, um, was there a particularly challenging day on Barbie? As, as the producer, was there a, a, a day that you sort of go, that was a tough day in the making of this film? Yeah, there were. It was really hard when we got to the real world stuff. So we did three weeks of shooting in LA in the real world. And just logistically, the, that was really difficult because we were shooting in a very exposed part of Venice on the boardwalk. Uh, we had hundreds, hundreds of people flocking to to watch that they're in the background of the shop because we can't clear you, you know no matter what permits you get you can't clear all the fenders boardwalk so uh people's reaction the background shot is sometimes real people's reactions which which worked for us because we were meant to look like weird aliens that have just arrived in the boardwalk and ryan and i looked um insane uh which was mortifying for us but uh captured wonderful reactions from everyone else but yeah that logistically that was like that was scary and we, we were contending with the light uh getting all that you know it was a it was a lot of work to do all the real world stuff in three weeks being light dependent and out exposed to the elements and all that yeah that that was tricky and it was my birthday it was Ooh. my birthday day as well <laughs> yeah 
So that was that must have been a, a, a nice twist. I mean, obviously, a, a, a ton of people ruining the shop, but it's your birthday. It's the, you know the yin yeah. and yang, the yin exactly. and yang of life. Uh, Margot, it's been a pleasure talking to you about Barbie. Uh, thank you for your time, and again, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. My thanks to Margot Robbie and, of course, to you for listening. Follow the podcast to explore the rest of the nominees and much more in the months to come. Thanks, too, to the producers of this series, Matt Hill and Ollie Peart at Rethink Audio, with sound design by Peregrine Pez Andrews. I'm Alex Zane. This was a BAFTA production. I'll see you again as the countdown to the EE BAFTA Film Awards 2024 continues. (laughs) 